Good morning. Uh, Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Open our hearts to the transforming power of your word that can only come through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for welcoming me back here to Affirmation for the second time. Pastor Spanger texted me a few weeks ago and asked if I'd be available, and of course, I was very excited at the opportunity. If I didn't meet you last year uh, when I came, I think I was here last summer, I'm Chris Grant, and I am ordained in the Lutheran Church of the Missouri Synod. And since this is a Presbyterian church and I am Lutheran, what better way to start than some interdenominational humor? (laughs) Three men die and go to heaven. St. Peter meets them at the pearly gates. He says to the first man, welcome to heaven. Back on earth, what denomination were you? The first man says, I was a devout Presbyterian. St. Peter says, excellent. Then go to door number 10. But when you pass door number two, be very quiet. He then asked the second man, when you were on earth, what denomination were you? And the second man said, I was the pastor of a Methodist church. St. Peter says, wonderful. Make your way to door six. But when you pass door number two, be very quiet. St. Peter asked the last man, what denomination were you on earth? The man says, I was Lutheran, part of the Missouri Synod. St. Peter says, you know the drill. Go to door number 12, but be very quiet when you pass door number two. And the last man says, why is it that we all have to be so quiet when we pass door number two? St. Peter replies, because that's where the Catholics are, and they think they're the only ones here. My kids like that one because they go to a Christian school where Pastor Spanger is the uh, head of schools, and there's lots of Catholics and Presbyterians and Lutherans, so there's always fruitful uh, debate and uh, discussion that happens there. So maybe some of you have heard that one before, but again, thanks for having me here today. This Sunday marks the final Sunday in Lent prior to the events of Holy Week that kick off Palm Sunday, which is the actual last Sunday of Lent. I asked Pastor Spanger, um, and he confirmed that your church does indeed recognize the season of Lent in your worship calendar. Uh, Early in the church's history, the major events in Christ's life were observed with special observances, such as his birth, his baptism, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, as these observances developed, a period of time was set aside prior to the major events of Jesus' birth and resurrection as a time of preparation. During Lent, the church assumes a more penitential, reflective character. Now, in the Lutheran Church's liturgy, in in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we actually omit the hymn of praise during the season of Lent. The word Alleluia is also omitted in the Lutheran Church during the season of Lent. By not using the Alleluia, a joyful expression meaning praise the Lord, until Easter, the Lenten season is clearly set apart as a distinct time from the rest of the year. All of this helps us focus our attention on the suffering of Christ, the actual mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain he endured during his earthly life, that we would be rescued from the suffering of death that we all deserve. Pastor Spanger mentioned that he was preaching through Lamentations, which certainly has appropriate themes for the season. 
For this message, we are going to look at a common text for this particular Sunday, the last Sunday before Palm Sunday, which is Mark 10, verses 32 to 34. Now, before I get to the text, to start off, most children have their own personal quirks. I would assume most of you have children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews. Well, when my 14-year-old son, who is here today, was a little bit younger, he would sometimes come up to me and start talking. After a sentence or two, I was completely lost. Then I would realize that he has clearly been having a conversation in his head, and I'm just being brought up in the middle of it. I'm being brought into the middle of a conversation that has already been taking place. Most likely, at that time, this was a few years ago, he had probably been playing a game on his Kindle and wanted to tell me about it, a game I had never heard of, nor do I have any idea how to play it. He'd walk up to me, completely cold, and say something like, Dad, I realized that the problem is I didn't save enough coins in order to buy the sword which opens the gate. Of course, I would look at him with a blank stare. He was probably thinking it's really quite simple, not sure what the problem is. And yet I was left dumbfounded. Maybe it was simple, but I certainly didn't get it. I remember myself trying to explain, now my, my parents are turning, my mom just turned 70 and my dad turned 70 this year. I grew up in the late 80s and mostly in the 90s. And I remember trying to explain rap music to my parents. And they just didn't get it. They grew up with the Beatles. They grew up with the Monkees. They grew up in the disco era. So trying to explain how rap was music to my parents was quite difficult. How could it be music if there's no singing? Well, it was hard. They just didn't get it. We all have those times when it seems like the people around us just don't understand. My, uh, my daughter-in-law, my son got married last uh, summer to a Korean girl who speaks Korean, English, and Thai. I am monolingual. Lingual. I don't know what it's like to be able to think in multiple languages. I just can't even process it. Sometimes we just can't understand each other. But sometimes it's more serious than not being under, able to understand a computer game or being able to understand how rap could be music. Sometimes it's more serious. I think back to my wife when she gave birth the first time and the feeling of postpartum and feeling so protective. Everybody else in the family and our friends is excited and joyful. And yet she was feeling very sad and scared and no one could understand. Even when you tell them what you're going through, oh, it's fine, at least you have a baby. But it wasn't fine, and it can make you feel quite alone, even when you're surrounded by so many people. I think of military servicemen who has returned from the battlefield, having experienced all kinds of difficulty. They come back to their families again, and they talk about their experience, and yet they can feel extremely alone. Yes, my family cares about me, but they don't understand. I think that is part of the reason you hear some of them say that they want to go back. Even though it's so difficult over there, at least the people that I'm with understand. Being alone can be painful, even when you are alone, just in your experiences. Even when you're surrounded by people who care about you, but they simply don't get it. It's isolating when no one actually understands. You guys ever felt that way? 
that you went through something and you just felt like nobody understood. Maybe you feel distant from God in those moments. How could he possibly understand what I'm going through? He's God and I'm not. How could he possibly understand? He has everything. What help could he be to me in this loneliness? Sometimes when you are not alone, you feel very alone. And this is where God's word gives us a fresh perspective of who God is and what it means to be his witnesses, to be his people. See, Jesus didn't come down to the earth as some disconnected sage to give divine oracles from on high. He didn't come to, this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what is going to happen. And then just move on to the next crowd to make more divine proclamations. He wasn't just going through the motions. He lived a real life going through the same struggles, a lot of the same struggles as we do. He experienced deep relationship issues and emotional pain, the same kind of that we deal with. In the Gospels, we read of a man who cried, who rejoiced, who hungered, who experienced fear and dread, who had compassion on others, who got angry, who loved, who dealt with grief. He was tempted. That's the Jesus we read about in the Gospels. All that range of emotions that we all experience on a probably weekly basis, or if you're a teenager, on an hourly basis, he went through it. So what do we do with that feeling of experiencing loneliness even when we are surrounded by people that care about us? This is where I think we are with Jesus in the gospel reading the text for today's sermon. A short passage from Mark 10, verses 32 to 34. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise." As many of you know, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. He moves quickly through the life and times of Jesus. There's no filler content in Mark. Each account has a purpose. And here is this little section of Mark separated by an account before and after. And we don't know exactly how much time has passed um, before and after. But where are we in this story when they're walking up to Jerusalem? Jesus has been in ministry for a few years by the time we're in Mark 10. He called his disciples, he developed close relationships with them, went through the Galilean countryside, teaching and doing all kinds of miracles. And this takes up basically the first seven and a half chapters of Mark. Now, Jesus knew that his mission on earth wasn't just to impress people with signs and wonders or just to teach. He knew that he would suffer horribly and die for his people. No doubt for any person, even though he was also divine, This is a troubling thought, impending suffering and death. We see the anxiety that this caused Jesus a few chapters later in Mark 14, verses 35 and 36. It says, going a little farther, he fell to the ground. It doesn't say he tripped. 
he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The thought of the cross was horrifying to Jesus. And in Mark 10, today's text, it is starting to get close to that time. So after seven and a half chapters of Mark, Jesus shares his destiny with the people he is closest to, his disciples. Again, this is not disconnected oracles. I am here to tell you, it is real sharing between Jesus and the people that he cares about. He tells them that he must suffer and die, but he will rise. Unfortunately, the Gospel of Mark does not paint a very good picture of the disciples and their response to Jesus. They are constantly confused by Jesus, and they don't seem to feel sympathetic to him. In Mark 8, while still in Galilee, Jesus tells his disciples of his fate the first time. And does anybody remember what happens? Peter stands up and rebukes him. Jesus shares something important about his, the work he's going to do on the cross, his suffering. Something that stirred fear and dread in him, and his friends didn't get it. In fact, Peter rebukes him. A chapter later in Mark 9, he again predicts his death to his friends, his closest companions, and it says they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Twice he has shared his future suffering with them, something that troubled him greatly, and twice they didn't get it. I bet that Jesus felt a bit lonely, even among his closest friends. A commentary I read on this section of Mark said, the absence of sympathy was one of his greatest trials. The absence of sympathy was one of his greatest trials. The most difficult and anxiety-inducing moments of his earthly life was drawing closer, and no one understood. He was alone, even among his friends. And that brings us back to our gospel reading here in Mark 10. The moment has finally come. Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem to meet his final judgment on the cross. And look how it begins in Mark 10, 32. It says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. He wasn't walking with them. He was walking ahead. Perhaps Jesus, considering what was coming to him in Jerusalem, found more solace at that moment alone than with his friends. So he walked ahead by himself on the road to Jerusalem and his impending fate. And I think that we often feel the same way. When nobody understands our own trouble, when we feel alone, even when surrounded by loved ones, we often like to retreat to our own solidarity. We just want to be by ourselves. Do you know what that feels like? I'd rather be by myself than around a bunch of people who don't understand what I'm going through. I think Jesus understood that. Then he re-engages with his disciples, picking up in verse 32. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the, over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. A third time he has let them know, what will happen? 
Mark doesn't report any response to what Jesus says to them. Mark doesn't say they finally understood or that they expressed heartfelt sympathy or pain. The absence of sympathy was one of his greatest trials. Now, we don't know exactly the progression here. Now, because we don't know how much space happens between this this, uh, verse 34 and what happens next. So either they didn't say anything or it moves right into verse 35. And that is where James and John ask to sit at Jesus's right hand in the kingdom. We don't know how much time lapsed, but either way, the disciples still did not express any sympathy and started talking about themselves, making requests. Jesus was alone, even when he was not alone. This is part of the reason why we recognize the season of Lent. We see in this account Jesus with his friends suffering alone. And I think this account points us to something in our own lives. See, when we go through these moments where we feel that nobody can understand what we're going through, remember, Jesus understands. He understands what it is like. He has been there. He knows what it's like to be around people you love and yet feel alone. And yet he kept on walking. He kept walking all the way to Jerusalem, knowing what was coming. And he took that feeling of loneliness all the way to the cross. In Mark 14, it describes Peter disowning Jesus. His disciples scattered. He walked the road to the cross alone, the only one who could accomplish what he was assigned to do, alone. In Mark 15, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, alone, suffering, alone. And because he went to the cross suffering and dying, he accomplished something for us. In our gospel reading, Jesus says, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And he did rise. Everything worked out just as he said it would. And because he accomplished this, a new reality emerges for God's people. Even when nobody seems to understand you, even when you feel like you are completely alone in your emotions, your trauma, your life circumstances, you are never alone. You are never alone. Because he experienced infinite loneliness on the cross, separation from God the Father, we are never truly alone. Jesus went through it so that he could be there with us in our most isolated moments. When the people around us don't understand or care, Jesus is there. When we think nobody gets it, Jesus gets it and he's there. He sent his Holy Spirit to us to dwell in us, to comfort us in our most challenging times. He promises, as as was said earlier, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And even when we are actually alone in this world, even in the times when nobody is there left for us, when there are no loved ones around, when we have been completely abandoned by other people, even when we face the prospect of our own death, Jesus is there and he gets it. 
Even if you are alone with regard to people, you are not alone. My dad, Ed Grant, also a Lutheran pastor, wrote a song many years ago called Never Alone. And I want to read you the first and the last verses of this. The first verse goes, I'm never alone on this wilderness journey that leads to a land of my fairest desires. Though trials are many and fears oft assail me, your love through each one does my spirit inspire. And then the last verse says, one day I will come to the end of this journey and see in the distance my heavenly home. The Lord will stand by me as ever to guide me. Not even through death will I travel alone. Man, those song lyrics bring back a lot of memories for me. I remember being probably younger than my youngest son and hearing those words. But how true those words are, the promise of the gospel. Receive this good news today, that Jesus came and suffered alone, so that you will never be alone. Jesus walked to his death, so that you may freely walk in newness of life, that you may freely receive forgiveness of your sins, that you may freely receive the Holy Spirit. That is the promise that he makes to all of his people. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you've walked the lonely road that we would never walk alone. We thank you that even when humanity turned away from you, when we didn't understand you, when we only thought about ourselves, you kept thinking about us and the mission that you were set to do on our behalf. Lord, as we reflect on this season of Lent, let us be let us be aware of the suffering that you went through, but also rejoicing that you did that in our place, that we would only receive the benefits of your work, that we wouldn't receive the judgment that we deserve. And as we come to Easter, let us celebrate the resurrection, that just as you died and rose again, you've now promised your people a resurrection and a new life. In Jesus' name, amen.